0: Okay, um, let me see what we're doing. Welcome back to the Emissions Uncovered podcast with me, Dominic, and your other hosts, Ni nee and Michael. This episode will cover the checklist directly concerning your application. It is assumed that you've already completed things such as testing or are already scheduled to take it. The episode will focus more on what you need to accomplish rather than when, because everybody has different deadlines. We would like to start every episode with uh, news going on in the college admissions world, So the big news right now is the October 2nd school day ACT was, quote, canceled due to the test being compromised and the new test date is to be determined. I said, you know, quote, canceled because they're definitely going, they're they're going to move the test date, but they just don't know when and it kind of pushes back some people's schedules for October 2nd. What do you guys think?
1: Wow, when I heard the news, I thought it was crazy that they uh, that it was canceled because I've never heard that actually happening, and especially because when you told me, you said it got canceled because the test was
0: compromised, which you know <laughs> is a very scandalous word. So, what does it mean that it got compromised? The ACT said that it was just compromised uh, in the information thing that they sent out. They didn't explain why. My guess is either uh, they somebody got a real copy of it somehow while they were shipping them out because I don't think they would recycle one uh, just after the August SAT <laughs> incident. So I think they would definitely avoid that from happening because right now the ACT looks really good and College Board doesn't look so good. So Well, so the August ACT incident is when...
1: <laughs> The College Board decided to recycle the international version of the test, which apparently was already leaked online. So, I guess Mm -hmm. it could be a. I mean, it definitely could partially be a PR move. Like, look how stupid College Board is, and look how responsible we, the ECT, are. (laughs) It's like we canceled it. Yeah. You know? Definitely a theory. But, I mean, like, I don't. I haven't done the research on this, so don't quote me. (laughs) But it seems like if they canceled it and they said it was for fraud, they shouldn't lie about it. That seems wrong. And yeah. And potentially not legal. Like, th- that's what Elon Musk did about taking the corporation private. And obviously it's different because Tesla's, you know, public corporation, SEC, blah, 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 but it's, like, in the same vein of just, like, lying.
2: But he's about to step down, though, right?
1: Uh, as chairman of the board, but he's going to stay on as CEO. Well, so,
2: yeah, 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 but the bad thing about this is I know a lot of my friends and some other people were counting on taking the October 2nd ACT so that they would have their scores back in time to send to their early admi- um, early action, early decision schools. So now that plan is kind of iffy because the ACT also said they would reschedule it either on October 16th or October 30th, and it just depends on the school district um, whenever they decide to give it. So if it's October 16th, I don't even know if the scores would get back in time, and especially October 30th, then the people won't get their scores back in time to submit early. So I'm not really sure how that's going to work out. Yeah.
0: Maybe the colleges could just push back all of the early deadlines.
2: (laughs) You wish. Well,
0: they
1: might actually, (laughs) they won't push back the deadlines, but they might say if you needed testing.
2: The scores, deadlines to send scores.
1: I mean, and the other thing is just that, frankly, if you were relying on this ACT on August 2nd, to apply for October second, October to apply for colleges on November first. I mean, isn't that what you did, Mike? No, I had an awesome SAT score before. The ACT score oh, was okay. just icing on the okay. top. Okay, okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. So you did that for your regular, but you just did the SAT for the early.
1: No, well, I mean, I sent. I'm the ACT score got into Princeton before they started reviewing my application. I'm pretty sure. But, yeah, like, I wasn't relying on it. I, if, I got like a, if I got, like, a 22 on my ACT, I would have been fine. Because I would just send my, in my <laughs> SAT.
0: Well, good thing you got a 23. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Point five. There you go. There you go. For the record, I actually got a 36. So that's why you can rely on me for your test prep services at galadmissions.com.
0: Hit them up at galadmissions. That's right. Okay, so on to the senior year application checklist. Uh, what is What is the first thing you would recommend doing?
2: So, of course, the first thing that I've done and I think other people should do is build a calendar of all the deadlines um, for the schools that you're planning to apply to. And not just the schools, but also for scholarships, um, when you need to apply for special programs, your financial aid deadlines, even deadlines for a merit aid consideration. Because I know me and Dominic were talking about this when we went to listen to the USC presentation she said that you would the rep there said you have to apply by december 1st um, to be able to be considered for merit aid and that's a full like month and a half before their regular decision deadline so it's kind of a lot of schools kind of had these really weird deadlines if you want to get into their more special programs or qualify for the um, institutional scholarships or stuff like that so you really got to be sure that if a school's on your list you go through The website and see deadlines see if they have any special deadlines so that you don't miss one because you don't want to lose out on like a full ride or something just because you didn't realize that you have to submit something early
1: yeah and always just google like type in the school name and type in merit-based scholarship and you never know what might pop up like I promise you the ivies aren't going to have it yeah because it's just a rule that they don't give merit-based aid but state schools, mid-tier schools, schools that are competing for the Ivy's attentions, they probably have merit-based scholarships, and you probably should Google them,
0: and you probably should apply to them. I like how you brought up the soft deadlines that we talked about before. Uh, you don't want to be like Michael and just throw everything <laughs> with its final deadline, because you're going to have 10 schools for January 1st, and your calendar is going to look really blank leading up to it, and then you won't you won't have a, a night at all on... Uh, January or December thirty first, so and January
2: first. <laughs> I don't know,
0: and, and January first. Yes, apparently these deadlines go to uh, midnight on the day of the deadline. Not midnight, eleven
1: fifty
0: nine p.m. All right. Oh, yeah. See, Michael knows because know. he did that. I know the very last. If you want to be a responsible student, don't wait. So, so create soft deadlines to where you're on track to not be like Michael.
1: So, Dominic, it seems like the responsible student would
0: be creating a calendar of hard deadlines and soft deadlines, which is why. I'm going to be a responsible student and create a calendar. For ah,
2: ah <laughs> of, course.
0: of course.
1: Now, um, frequent listeners of Admissions Uncovered will remember that Dominic said the same thing in episode 17.
2: So. Mm. I don't think
1: it was 17. 16. So. Uh,
0: no, that, no, 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 no. It was. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. It was probably uh-uh. 15. Nope. <laughs> Maybe even 13. Nope. Hmm. I, think it's, I think it's 18. It's, it was definitely not 18. I I think, I think 18. 18. All
2: right, ladies, ladies, calm down.
0: I'm pretty, was not 17.
1: I hope you've enjoyed the beginning of this episode of Admissions Uncovered, a podcast about college admissions. If you're a new listener or a listener who hasn't done this already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your podcast player of choice so that you can get every single episode right when it comes out and you can listen to it as soon as possible. If you're on Apple, you can subscribe via iTunes by going to bit.ly slash a u pod apple that's b i t dot L-Y slash a u pod apple and if you're on an android device you can go to b i t dot L-Y slash a u pod android that's b i t dot L-Y slash a u pod android to subscribe thanks so much for your support and now let's get back to the episode the next thing that you always want to keep in mind in your checklist is making sure that your rec letters are actually sent. By the time you have sent your application, uh, you've only sent your piece of the application. You also need to make sure all the other parts of the application from other people outside your control also get sent in. So one of the big ones is obviously teacher recommendations. And so hopefully you've asked teachers well in advance, hopefully a month, maybe even more in advance. And so that they have time to write it by the time of the application. And so when it comes to the deadline, make sure you keep on prodding and reminding your teachers that, hey, this deadline is coming up. Make sure you finish up writing the rec letter. Because what always happens is that there's going to be a technical difficulty on the last day. I promise you. It's just what happens with old teachers who don't know how to use technology. Especially when school districts like DISD add in Naviance or... Like, whatever power lack school of nonsense, nonsense they're doing. Yeah, lack of nonsense power school thing they're doing um, this year. So, because of all those technical difficulties, always remember to ask in advance. Um, and always make sure to remind your teacher to get those in.
2: So, I have a question about that. I know our counselor kept saying we're on a different like, timeline. We have a different deadline compared to the teachers and the counselor. Because she was saying like, how she can submit her part after November 1st or something like that for early. So does that apply to the teachers or like, how does that work? When she says that.
1: It does. That rule kind of applies to everybody external to you. The November 1st deadline, the January 1st deadline, is a hard deadline for you to get in your materials in. But if your counselor or teachers take a few, well, maybe like one to two weeks, let's not say a few, like one to two weeks uh, to put in their stuff, it's going to be okay because college counselors know that it's going to be everybody applying around that time. They know how stressful that time of the year is. Obviously, you want your teachers to turn them in ASAP after the deadline, if not before the deadline. Mm -hmm. But it is true that if they have some technical difficulty that doesn't allow them to send in the rec letter by the deadline, it's going to be okay. Don't freak out. Your application will still be fine.
2: What about for outside recommenders? Um, How many do you suggest we should have?
1: It depends on the school, just because some schools may not even allow you to have outside recommendation letters. For example, I think Columbia only allows two teacher recommendation letters and the one guidance counselor letter. Uh, But on the other hand, Cornell and Harvard have, I think, four spaces for outside rec letters. So it depends on what the school is.
2: And for submitting those, for example, through Common App, is it similar to teachers where... You have to put in like their email or something to invite them or do your outside recommenders like directly send it to the school or how does
1: that work Uh, if you do it through the common app you type in their email and the outside recommenders will get an email to make an account through the common app if you, though, want to send the outside rec letter to a school that doesn't allow it, you still might be able to pull it off by having the recommender send their letter directly to the school. And if you have a teacher who isn't in your school's system, so can't log in and send their rec letter through Naviance, like what happened with my old debate coach who left the district before application season, uh, mm-hmm. then you might also have to do the send directly to institution
0: thing.
2: Okay.
0: I'd be very careful about sending too many outside rec letters because even if you're doing one outside rec letter, you're looking at four different rec letters in your application. And I mean, if you go for another one, that's that's five letters and that's a a lot to make a a school read. And I feel that you're almost taking away from your application or repeating too much.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I sent way too many Um, teacher rec letters basically my approach is like however many slots there were i was just gonna send a whole bunch of all those rec letters because i had them i had them so yeah but i agree like the the best approach probably would have been to think a little bit more deeply about what each rec letter was going to say about me and maybe even ask the teacher like hey can i see your rec letter so i can make that determination because you know like some teachers might say the exact same thing and it's like not great to have repetitive information in any part of your application, including teacher rec letters. The other thing, like, I like what you said, Dominic, it dilutes the effect of other parts of the application. When you have this many rec letters and they say the exact same thing, each one is going to be less powerful than the best, best worded, best crafted one. So think about your rec letters more than I did.
0: Yep. I like how Michael brought up planning out your rec letters. Uh, When you go to meet with a teacher or talk to them about your letter definitely guide them in the way that you want that teacher to write their letter for example uh, with my two recommenders for, for teachers um, I already know what I want them to spin their rec letter obviously you know I'm gonna leave the writing up to them but I have like the I have a plan of how I want that letter to read just so that they're not talking about the same thing but also that it's bringing out something about me that isn't really discussed in other parts of my application.
1: Yeah. And this is another thing to add to your checklist. Um, This isn't for after you send the application, but just in general for teacher rec letters, you want to give your teachers a brag sheet of your accomplishments that are like, Hey, just in case you were wondering, here's all the extracurricular activities I do and what maybe you could write about. Hint, hint, hint. (laughs) And so no, like really all my emails are written like, and, uh, Thank you for um, saying that you'll write a letter of recommendation for you. Just so you remember, here's a few things I did, and here's a few things that I did in your class. Like, I literally wrote all that out in the email. And what that brag sheet lets you do is it lets you guide what the teacher is thinking about. You know, you might not be able to get a chance to set up a formal meeting, but you can always give them that brag sheet, and they can always use that brag sheet. Because what a lot of teachers do is that they'll have one paragraph that just, like, all the extracurricular activities they do and just, like, list a few out.
2: Yeah, so I was kind of wondering, what do you, what do you usually want teachers to, like, highlight regarding – do you want them to highlight, like, extracurriculars or – because I know you kind of want them to steer away from too like, academics and, and stuff they can get – schools can get from like your transcript and your test scores so what do you think would be a good kind of thing to have them point out
1: well so for american schools you don't want any numbers in there yeah but you can still have academic traits so for example this person is a leader in the classroom when it comes to classroom discussions um for example this person is really good at designing powerpoints for research presentations i don't know like that's fine too (laughs) Um, if the teacher also helps with your extracurricular activities, like Mr. Gonzalez was for me, they could talk about your experience with the extracurricular activity. Um, they could talk about, Leadership kind of your teamwork larger story arcs. So, like, if you sucked at first and now you're amazing, they can talk about how you were, you know, triumphant or whatever. Um, but this is solely for American schools in particular, American top schools. If you apply to international schools, for example, in the UK, as we talked about in episode 15, which you can find at bit.ly slash AU 15, then you want your rec letters for those UK schools to be
0: much more academic and even much more numbers focused. One of the important kind of odd things that you need to do with your application, other than submitting the common app and getting your rec letters is make sure to send your test scores, um, some people don't think about this turnaround time it takes to get those test scores sent in, but you definitely want to get those sent in early. Um, I know Michael sent all of his pretty much at the same time um, when he was applying early just for his regular schools as well, and it's a good thing to just get that taken off your checklist. Um, even if you're not paying for the test scores uh, to be sent, you still don't want to go through the same process again, so just send them all at one time, I would say, and then you can cross that off your list for good. So, Michael, um, I know a lot of people including us have taken both the SAT and ACT um what strategy is there behind which ones you want to send
1: I mean there really isn't one send the best one and if they're both good send both uh, yeah short and sweet yeah i mean like <laughs> there are parts of this application which you need to stress about right so your essays are one of them rec letters are one of them but test scores yep you
0: already stressed about
1: setting for it. Like, don't stress about sending them. Just send them. Uh, but send them early, because if you do them the night before, it will take a week to two weeks to get to them. Because how the system works behind the scenes is that most schools no longer receive these things by paper, which is a good thing. But they only accept the transfers from College Board electronically once every week or once every two weeks. So even if they oh. don't do it by mail, they're still... The slowness of snail mail. So send them early, please. This is one of those things where it won't make or break your application if it comes in like a week late, but if you can avoid it, just avoid it and send it on time.
2: Yeah. So, and you would send them through college board for the SAT and what whatever the ACT website is. I never know what they're called, but you would just like go on there and send them, right? And you enter in your school's code and then that's it, right? Yeah. Oh, and then
1: one th- also thing to add on is that when you see things like rush send, um, that usually doesn't work just because now it's electronic and there's no such thing as a rush send email mm-hmm. um, as there was like a priority FedEx thing. So if you see the rush send thing, even if you're in a rush, don't check the box because it's just an expensive waste of money.
2: But would you suggest sending all of them at once? Because so I'm pretty sure on my early school, but not about the other schools. So should I send them to only early schools or like the school's? I'm pretty sure about.
1: Well, the reason why I kind of did them all at once is because I had a pretty firm idea of which schools I was going to apply to, both for early and regular. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I had schools that I added in later on, I just sent those on later on. Uh, But the core ones, like the Ivy League schools, I knew I was going to apply to, so I had the ability to send them. But if you're unsure, then you can hold off a little bit, but not too much, obviously. Yeah. Like, once you get an idea of your list, send the scores.
2: Okay. Just get, like, that part of... Your application out of the way. Yeah,
1: yeah. Don't stress about this part of it, though. It's it's the easy part. <laughs> it's like clicking a few buttons and entering <laughs> your credit card information.
2: Oh gosh. Okay. So besides sending in your test scores, another part of, another part of the application is that you'll have to send your transcript. And this part is kind of weird because I think sometimes it's through um, your school counselor and some, and then if you're in like DISD... We know that our transcripts won't get updated until mid-October with our new um, scores like from the summer and up until now. So it's kind of weird because we kind of have to wait for the transcripts so that we can send them. So I think this part is more like you should talk to your counselor and make sure exactly when your transcripts are going to get updated. And once you have that, you should probably also send it to the school.
0: And then now that we've covered all the odds and ends of the college application, of course you have your big, big portion of the application, your Common App, and then either your Apply Texas or the California version or coalition application, whichever one you're using, you definitely need to finish that up as early as you can. And then also the essays. Um, So obviously for the Common App, just fill in your information and then any of the writing portions, I would say follow the same rules about having people read them over and things like that as you would the essays. So definitely have people read over your essays um, and, you know, look to replace some wording or look to improve them as best as you can. Um, but a lot of people in my school have been freaking out about having people read over their essays. And um, Michael, what would you recommend as the point to where you say the essay is good and stop freaking out about improving it?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's just like, frankly, t- the culture at your school is prone to freak outs over meaningless things. Yeah, uh, I agree. You know. So, like
0: my college list. Yeah, like your
1: college list. I still can't believe people talk about your college list when they're also applying to college, but that's a story for another day. For another episode that you can listen to uh at bitly pod 16 just for the plug there. <laughs> but I think for me how I got to the end point. It's kind of just like I read it and I felt good about it. And, you know, I think maybe this is just my personality, but I I tend to be very impulsive at times, but also like generally confident in my abilities, maybe too much. So when I read the essay and I thought it was good, I thought it was good and moved on. Because the other thing I knew was that because I wasted a lot of the time before November just working on my Princeton supplement, after, you know, November 1st, and particularly (laughs) after Princeton deferred me, I was like, oh, crap. I have a whole bunch of essays to write. So I didn't really have the luxury of freak out time. I just had to go.
2: Well, there is one upside to you waiting until the last two weeks of December, Michael.
1: That's right. No time to freak out. Uh, One thing I'll say, though, about having other kiddos read your application who are going through the same process you are. like always just take their advice with a grain of salt. And even with teachers and People reading your application or your essay in general, this is your application. And if you don't like their advice, don't take their advice. Like even if you yep. pay someone like me to help you, if you don't like their my advice, like don't take it. It's your application. It's
0: your life. You do whatever you want. And no one really knows what exactly they're looking for. So everybody's just trying to give their best feedback based off what they think the admissions officer are looking for. But <clears throat> I think – the best letter is just, is just going to come from you where you're talking about your own experiences and your own character and giving that piece of yourself to the mission officer.
2: But that's not to say there are certain things that when they point it out, you should take into account. Yeah,
0: and definitely have an English teacher read over just the grammar and structure of the essay as well.
2: Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that would
0: help. Yeah, definitely.
2: So it's it's honestly a balance because of course there are things that teachers, for them um, teaching so long, they'll notice like maybe like, a flaw in your argument or your argument isn't super strong yet or something like that. So you should take into account those comments and kind of fix it accordingly, but also just to the point that you're comfortable with it and not too much where, Oh, they say this thing and you change it so much. You lose your personal voice and what you wanted to say through your essay. So it's really kind of a balance. But as Dominic said, in the end, it is you it is your application. It is your story. The
1: other thing is I, I, you know, Another thing that's useful about having someone else read it is also for fluency and flow. Um, and you can also do this too. You want to read your essay out loud because that is one way that people read. Like people subconsciously sub-vocalize the text on the screen. And if you read it aloud and it doesn't sound fluid then something's wrong with your writing. And so this is like one struggle I've always had with writing, how to make the sentences mesh together well. And so I found the best way to make them, to find fluency or flow errors is just like reading it out loud as if it was a speech or something. And I think this is actually just a general, generally good piece of advice. Treat this essay speech as if you're like a politician running for public office, right? You don't want long, sprawling, 17-line sentences that have a whole bunch of commas and semicolons and colons. That's bad. You want a mix of those short sentences and those long sentences. And you want the end of a paragraph or the end of a long train of thought to be a nice short attack line or applause line that kind of gets to the very heart of your narrative. And so what that does is that it just gives a short way to summarize everything in a way that is like sounds pithy and sounds, you know, funny. So that's what I would call it at the ending it with an applause line.
2: But I also think one more benefit is that if you get a fresh pair of eyes to look at it, you can kind of see if you're able to get your message across. Because, you you know, like with you working on the essay so much, fixing each line, trying to craft everything carefully, um, someone else who's brand new looking at it may not see what you see. And that's most likely what... um, admissions um, officers are going to look at they're going to see it for the first time they're going to have two or three minutes to look at it so maybe it might be good to have another person just read it over once and kind of tell you what they got from your essay and if that's what you're trying to say
1: obviously get them because it never hurts to get outside feedback but also evaluate the feedback you're getting and don't just instantaneously do it because someone else yeah tells you to, especially if it's like a teacher or Um, an authority figure or a family
2: it's okay to say no yeah so you have to make judgment calls like this through this whole process it's just about making a judgment call basically
0: yeah and while you're working on your college application many scholarship deadlines are also during the early to regular application deadline times so i know two of them that i'm working on are due on october 31st so that november 1st deadline is uh really going to be fun for me this next month will be very interesting um but michael i know you applied to a couple so how did which ones did you apply to and how did you think that helped or hurt the your college application um so one
1: of them was the uh, cameron impact scholarship which deadline closed a few weeks ago um, And that helped me because it was early on and had a lot of essay prompts that were really common throughout the college application process. So having me write those out early on gave me a good starting point for when I actually dug deep into the supplements um, between early decision deadline and the regular decision deadline. Um I also applied to a few small ones that I won't go into just because they're small and slightly sketchy and slightly irrelevant for you. Uh, another big one is the Coke Scholarship. Which is a good one to apply to, just in general. Uh, that one was that one has a wacky application process and it changes every year, so be sure to research it yourself. That's the Coke Scholarship. But I do believe that its application deadline was fairly close to the November 1st deadline and kind of in between that process. So one thing I'll say is that a lot of these types of time, a lot of these types of other scholarship applications don't need to be additional stress because you've already written a lot of essays on a lot of different topics. So don't be afraid to do a copy and paste job and make a few changes to make it applicable. Don't be afraid to use what you've already written. It's not plagiarism because (laughs) it's your work. yeah. So, have you guys been looking for scholarships? So, Dominic, I know you said you were working on two right now. How have you found those two, and what
0: are they? Uh, so, the first one that I picked up of the two was the, – there's a Boy Scout scholarship. Obviously, you know, the uh, the Boy Scout member of the Emissions Uncovered podcast. <laughs> got to get that.
2: Scholarship.
0: Yeah, got to get that scholarship money. <clears throat> um, I don't know. I, I had heard about it throughout high school, and – Um, since I'm so involved, it just kind of comes up periodically and I figured might as well apply, see how that goes. Um, that one is, uh, October 31st. Like I said, both of them are October 31st and it's $48,000 over four years. So they spread it 12 a year, um, which would be good to help out with the college cost. Um, and then the second one, like Michael said, is the, uh, Coca-Cola scholarship. Um, and then that one is also October 31st, and that is a $20,000 scholarship. And um, I've been looking at the two. The The Boy Scout one has a couple essay questions on there. Um, but from what I've seen, at least in the first stage for the Coca-Cola scholarship, that one doesn't. Uh, there are a lot of uh, things to fill out as far as what you've done in high school. Um, but it's not you know intense writing. It's more of just really really what you've done and trying to get them to bite to move you on to the next round. And I know Michael, you did move on to the uh, next round from the first. I did part yeah. in the Coca-Cola scholarship. How, how did that next process go?
1: So the first initial screening is just test scores and basic facts and numbers and extra
0: activities which you can just literally
1: copy and paste from the common app. The second and third rounds are going to require teacher rec letters and essays. The essays can be adapted from the Common App and your supplements, uh, but it is going to take some work to do the adaptation. It can't just be a pure copy and paste job. Um, what's harder is going to be for the teachers because the teachers aren't given the opportunity just to submit a letter. They're asked to answer four different questions. So essentially, they're asked to write four different Letters of recommendation, which was a big pain in the butt. Especially for teachers who just thought, oh, I was just going to upload it on the
0: last day. And then they realized, no, there's <laughs> actually how m- four. How many teacher rec letters does it require? I think Do you remember?
1: Uh, I think one or two. I forget the specifics, so you might want to Google it. But um, okay. either one or two, yeah? yeah. So, Nia, how have you found your scholarships?
2: I mean, so I'm kind of different in that I'm not really focusing on more of the external scholarships. Because I know like you said there are a lot of small ones that give you one or two thousand dollars, and mainly for the the really big ones um i I personally don't feel like um I would really get like the benefit from them because I know they have to write a lot of essays and a lot of them are the really big ones are for like underrepresented minorities and um all like the stuff like that, so I'm mostly focusing on writing my other essays and supplements. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to get some decent financial aid, so I'm not too worried about um, finding outside scholarships. Well, Dominic definitely
1: isn't an underrepresented minority, and uh, he's applying to some scholarships. So, you know, I I was definitely not an underrepresented minority either.
2: I don't think it's worth my time.
1: Uh, I think that's a bad call for most people. I think you should just apply to all the scholarships you can, just because you never know what might happen in the backs of those financial aid officers and it never hurts to just throw in an application like this is the time when you need to do every single thing when you need to take whatever door there is and you need to open it or you need to find the key to open it and if there isn't a door you need to make the door this is the time when you need to be doing whatever it is possible i mean okay all the applications to everywhere
2: but all the ones you said okay like the cameron impact i couldn't qualify for that i'm saying like it's only worth for the big scholarships so I might do the Coca Cola one.
0: I mean, so I I don't I get what Nia's saying, but I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to what, you know, what she's ta- talking about it being worth it. Uh, obviously, if there's a five hundred dollars scholarship and they're requiring like ten essays mm-hmm. and it's going to take you a month to write them, but you also have a college application due. Yeah. Maybe you pass on that yeah. one. But a lot of these are substantial amounts of money that can also be used mm-hmm. on you know other expenses like, you know, your laptop or your textbooks or whatever, and they don't just go towards tuition. Uh, things that could really help. But I'm just saying like, for example,
2: Michael, how mi- out of all those scholarships you applied to, how many did you actually get?
0: None of the big ones.
1: Um, but this is the same thing that we talk about when it comes to Ivy League admissions. You're not going to get in, you're not going to get the scholarship if you don't apply. And I'm just going to say it's like not actually that much work because you've already written essays and you can just do a copy and paste job and make some changes and then we'll be fine. Um, But you know, like, again, this is obviously not to say that if the deadline for both Princeton early action and the scholarship is both November 1st and obviously focus on the college application one. And you can focus more on the small scholarships later on, but now when the big scholarships are happening around this time, just because the bigger scholarships have a longer process, now's the time also just to apply to them. And there's, again, no harm to applying. Time, your time isn't worth anything right now. It really isn't. Like, You're not a banker, or you're not, like, some (laughs) high-fledged doctor ruling the world. Your time isn't worth thousands upon thousands of dollars, you know. Your time is only worth what your college application results are, really, to be honest about it. So, applied scholarships. Every single scholarship. (laughs) Humanly possible. Is my piece of advice at least. And I think I'm right.
0: And then by the time you are hearing this podcast, the FAFSA will be open. Uh, make sure you do that uh, with your parents and their tax information uh, because that is another portion of your college application that you need to get done um, for your deadline. And then, you know, or else you're going to have to pay for college on your own because they're not <laughs> going to give you any money um, And then also the CSS profile, some schools require that. So make sure you just check with which schools you're applying and see if they require the CSS profile. It's fairly similar to the FAFSA. It's just College Board's version.
2: When does it open up? Do you know when it opens up? Is it the same day?
0: That's a a good question.
2: I'm pretty sure it's Um, already
0: open. I think so. I think it's already open. Yeah. Uh, One note I will put on the FAFSA. If you're over 18... You do need to be, and, and you're a male, you need to be registered for a selective service in order to do the FAFSA. Yep. So make sure you get that done or else you're going to be hurting. So if you try to do that the night before, it's not going to be too good. Make sure you get that done earlier on.
1: And also make sure that you are, well, actually, that's not the right transition. Right. <laughs> One thing I'll say about deadlines when it comes to financial aid is that they're generally looser than every other deadline in this process. Um, So obviously you cannot send in your financial application like seven months after you got your acceptance letter. Like that would be a disaster because you would already be in school at that time. But like if you're like a month, two weeks to a month, even maybe like a month and a half late, especially after the early decision deadline, then they still generally are going to be able to give you your decision fairly quickly and consistently just because – Financial aid officers usually just stick it into a formula calculator and spit out a number for you. Like that's generally how it works um, at most schools at least. So this one is not something you should stress too much about, but just like keep it in the back of your mind.
0: Yep. And a lot of schools will actually have a published financial aid deadline for you to send in all of that information. Uh, So just make sure you throw that on your calendar. Try to get it done before your application. So once you turn that application, everything is over with. You don't have to be worrying about another thing to just to apply to that school but if you have to push something off you still have that financial aid deadline yeah exactly exactly
1: i mean i know i know someone uh on my floor who who, um (laughs) literally sent in her financial aid documents i think like a month afterwards and like it still worked out she still got the financial aid and she's doing fine so don't worry too much about this part of it
0: you got to get into the school first
2: (laughs) honestly whatever you can get out of the way you should just get out of the way so everything doesn't pile up.
0: Yep. Then you can move on to enjoying your senior year.
2: <laughs> nah, that's I really overrated. Overrated. This for six weeks. Got to tell you, struggle. Anyways, <laughs> wait
1: till after early decision deadlines. Wait till after early decision decisions.
2: That's that'll be something. And then you're just like, hmm. I don't think I recall Michael during that time. Maybe you're probably in some dark room writing your essays
0: well you saw me on the train oh i remember michael post uh, post princeton <laughs> <laughs> that was
1: what what, oh. what was i like i'm actually
0: curious probably what i am now you're just probably stressed about those deadlines i mean especially putting off a lot of the things uh, <laughs>
2: dominic what is your um soft deadline calendar hmm? that's right
0: uh making the calendar was a soft deadline
2: <laughs> so you have a soft deadline for making the calendar
0: Okay, I value I value my common app essay a little bit more than my calendar. So well, once I perfect well, that, then we will have the calendar. It's
2: kinda. Well the I point of right.
0: the cal the point of the calendar is to
2: make
1: sure that you're not spending too much time on your common app and making sure you leave time for your supplements.
0: So I, I have time for my supplements. It, it's okay, Michael. Don't worry.
1: I feel like I feel like you're just turning into me at this point. I feel like all my it's lessons gonna, are just it's gonna work out fine. Gone away. All right, Dominic. All right. All right. We'll 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 keep doing the podcast, and then when it comes time for the podcast right before winter break, we'll
0: see. Well, I also don't have the luxury of. Um,
2: that's right. December
0: twenty sixth through January thirty first. December thirty first. I mean, no, December thirty first. What am I saying? <laughs> the stress is already getting to me. Yeah, December twenty sixth through December thirty first. I don't have that time to work on applications. Yeah.
2: So Dominic, that's
0: rough. It's do or die ahead of time. That's rough. It'll be okay. I Fast forward
2: two months later.
0: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Honestly. It'll be fine. It'll be
1: fine. People make it through. Nobody actually dies. So, anyways, moving on. Moving on from death and despair. We have networking. <laughs> All right. So networking is one of those like vague terms that everybody throws around that you need to be doing. Like you need yeah. to be networking with all these fancy rich people to get jobs or whatever. And I don't know if they're true or not. I have not concluded on how important I think it is. But I think it's something that not a lot of people do in the college admissions process for the undergraduate level. Uh, and that it's something that you can use to stand out. So what I mean by networking in this context is by reaching out to anybody you know who went to the school you're applying to. And just saying, hey, can we get coffee? And you're just talking about that school. And making the ask, can you make a call if it's somebody you know closely? Or if it's someone you just found on LinkedIn, hey, thanks for our conversation. Can I ask you for any questions later on? And just maintaining the relationship if if it's someone you don't know that well. Because eventually – when it comes time, like you are deferred or on the wait list, when you're out of that many options, you want every single possibility open to you. And one possibility is just going to the person that you had coffee once and said, hey, let's follow up with another coffee or something and being like, hey, I really enjoyed our conversation. You convinced me that, um, you know, Brown was the best place for me. Can you make a call to the admissions office Here's the email and tell them um, and ask them if there's anything I can do or something like that. And it's a very, I think, awkward thing to do to make to be making these requests, especially as like a potentially under 18 high school senior to like a 30 year old executive <laughs> or whatever. But these are the things that make people stand out because high schoolers don't network. I think, you know, generally I didn't network as well as I needed to. Um, so this is something that you should be doing. And so um, logistically, here's what I mean by it. Searching for people who went to your high school, who also got into that school, reaching out to them. Any teachers who went to the college you're applying to, and you have a close relationship to. Going on LinkedIn or whatever social media profiles, and just searching the university of your choice and seeing if anybody you recognize pops up or anybody who on linkedin or facebook whatever you have quote-unquote mutual friends or mutual connections with and making those types of let's get coffee requests or making those types of connections um just because you might as well especially after your application
0: is done and you have nothing else to do so drink a lot of coffee with uh former students yeah (laughs) there you go right michael there you go there you go
2: (laughs) michael so you want to go get coffee
0: no not really (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna you gonna fly him back fly. for some coffee? hey
2: you're the one at columbia so you should be flying us out there
0: i don't think this is how ivy league works unfortunately
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh oh one thing i'll one thing i'll add um is that you probably won't get most your responses you basically the interaction with most people you want to network with will be the interaction me and i just had like you'll ask and the person will be like no or they just won't respond <laughs> so just yeah. like Keep that in mind. And that's just something that's going to stay true with networking in undergraduate years and probably beyond, too. Uh, But just, like, trying your best. And also just generally, don't be afraid to ask for something. When it comes to teachers, don't be afraid to ask for that rec letter ASAP. For counselors, don't be afraid for them to, hey, can you change this in my rec letter? Or, hey, can you make a call into the Princeton Admissions Office when – the deferral happen to see if you can advocate for me. Just don't be afraid to ask for help. Ask for people to pitch on your behalf. Because again, the worst thing that can happen is that they say no and, you know, whatever.
2: Also another thing about if if you can't directly contact an alumni or something, there's, also, there's always your regional admissions counselor for the schools that you're planning to apply to, like your admission reps that will usually come to your school or attend college fairs. A lot of them are actually alumni's um, of the school that they're representing so you should always try to get in contact with them send them an email if you know that they're about to come to your school to give a presentation or something like that just build a connection because I know one of my friends knows one of these admission reps really well just because she's been uh, she talks to them whenever they come to her school uh, she's been to the school gone on tours met uh, met them consistently reached out to them, ask questions. So that's also another way to show that you're interested in the school, but also to build a connection because they'll be able to answer a lot of your questions, maybe even help you with some parts of your application or something like that. So you should always be making sure that you reach out to your local admissions reps.
1: Yeah, and especially, that's that's very true, especially the person that you mentioned before that was doing those that type of work, I think is going to, I'm going to make a prediction here, is going to get into whatever school she was chatting up the regional admissions <laughs> officer with, like honestly.
2: Because sometimes they're one of the people that actually look at your application, one of the first people, because I know the Dartmouth rep that came to our school, she said that she was the first one that's going to look at our applications. Yeah. So- especially like people like that but also other people you should always approach them especially if you're actually really interested in the school then you should be already doing these things getting to know more about your school getting to know more about the people there so don't be hesitant don't be afraid to talk to these reps because that's their job they're here to tell you more about their school and to kind of get you to come
1: And I read one story online where someone actually applying to UChicago who got deferred actually reached out to their dean of student life, which is not connected to the admissions office at all. And was like, hey, let's just chat. And I want to know what a day in the life of a UChicago student is. And the dean was like, you know, like, I don't have any control over admissions, right? But you know, the student was like, yeah, that's fine. I just want to talk to you. And they had their meeting and they had their chat and the person used the information the Dean of Student Life gave them in the letter of continuing interest or the update letter they sent after they got waitlisted, And they got in eventually. So you can, even if this doesn't lead to them making a call on your behalf, it gives you useful information to incorporate into your supplemental essays. So I actually think networking is a very underutilized thing in this particular process. So underutilized and under-advised thing. So that's why you come to Admissions Uncovered.
2: (laughs) Kind of related to that, I know I think I mentioned in the last episode about getting an interview, because now I know a lot of schools don't necessarily require an interview and they have limited spots. So you would usually interview with an alumni, not really like an admissions counselor. So... And like in my case, I know Bowdoin, they sent out an email with like four or five spots and they're like, sign up if you want like a 30 minute chat kind of casual um, conversation, but low key an interview kind of thing where they both tell you about their school and they also get to learn more about you. So that's also another way besides just talking to the reps to show your interest and to network and learn more about the schools because the interview is to let them kind of put a face to your application Um, know more about you who you are as a person your personality your interests. but in a more most of these times they're in a more casual setting so it might really benefit you if you are able to get um get an interview and if they don't offer interviews like it would be fine it's not going to hurt your application too much but definitely if it's a school that you're really interested in and you have an opportunity to interview you definitely should go for it
1: And this one actually requires some research about whether you need to actually reach out to them or whether they'll reach automatically out to you. You know, like Harvard, Yale, Princeton will reach automatically out to you, but Chicago and I think Rice, you actually have to reach out to them. Rice, you have to apply earlier than January 1st and Duke as well. Rice and Duke, you have to apply earlier than January 1st in order to be put on the interview list. So there's a bunch of research involved with this interviews, one, that you just got to keep in mind. And we'll have an episode after January, after either November 1st or
0: January 1st, that actually talks about how to do the interview well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's uh, episode of the Emissions Uncovered Podcast. Uh, as always, we'd like your help to help grow this podcast. If you go to bit.ly slash au pod apple, to subs- you can subscribe for iTunes and also give us a five-star rating. And every five-star rating helps to grow the reach of our podcast and allows a new listener to find the podcast. As always, feel free to reach out to us through our social medias. Uh, On Twitter, it's at AUPodFM and at Emissions.Uncovered on Facebook and Instagram. And then you can always reach out to us through an email or in the comment section below. And then make sure to create that calendar if you haven't already.
1: Unlike Dominic. And we'll
0: see you
2: next week. (laughs)